Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of thrills. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. Are you, are you ready to be thrilled? Yeah, let's go! <laughs> okay. <laughs> Trying to bring the energy, but I don't know. Let, let, me, let me have a, another sip of my drink here. <laughs> nah, just keep playing the straight man. So, <sighs> thrill seekers... This is an episode for you. Yeah. Okay. I got my energy back. We're yeah, good. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm Jason Neeling. I said that, right? But now I'm more energetic, Jason Neeling. And today we're talking about amusement parks and theme parks in Japan. Now, when I first started my research, I wasn't really thinking there was much of a distinction between those things, amusement parks and theme parks. You know? Yeah, I wanted to touch on that, too, because I had never really thought about that before, the difference, mm-hmm. or if there even was a difference. I've always used them interchangeably. They're all just theme parks, I think. To me, they've all mind. been amusement parks, I think. Okay. That's just longer to say. I think I just defaulted to theme parks because it's faster and easier to say. Okay, yeah. The theme is having fun, right? Yeah. But, Paul, did you see that the Japanese government actually has definitions of those two things? I did not. Somehow that doesn't surprise me too much, though. (laughs) Amusement parks are establishments that are mainly indoor and outdoor sites with three or more types of permanent play facilities. Now, this excludes those into which coins, medals, cards, etc. are inserted directly. Oh, that would be an arcade, maybe. Exactly. Not talking about that. We're talking about... Places where you purchase a pass or you're paying a fee to do some fun, amusing stuff. Yeah. Theme parks, on the other hand, are establishments that charge an admission fee, create the facility environment based on a specific theme, and have permanent and paid attractions related to the theme, and incorporate parades and events to create an overall space. Okay. Did you find out what the purpose of this law is? Is it just for advertising reasons on who can call themselves a theme park or not? I have no idea. <laughs> I just found some website that was like, here's what the Japanese government has to say about these things. Okay. Yeah, so theme park, Disneyland. It's themed after Disney, right? Amusement park, a place that has a bunch of roller coasters and Ferris wheels, but no characters or story that it's tied into. Yeah. But I think that the category of theme parks is also kind of a subcategory of amusement parks because it meets the same criteria for amusement parks. It's just there's also the theme thing. Yeah. Japan has more than 100 amusement parks. I saw more than 200, Paul. Wow. Yeah. And around a quarter of those are theme parks. Okay. Wow. That's a good number of theme parks. Yeah. Yeah. Japan has all kinds of parks. It has... The big names like Disneyland, but there's also historic experience parks, I guess you could say. There's cultural experience parks. There are car theme parks. Yeah, all sorts of one of a kind parks. And some of the more recently created ones, I think, are really creative and kind of surprised me. And uh, I kind of want to go. Totally. And some of them. I was surprised at how many of them have like really new technology. Like they're not just coasting on these rides that they've had for 50 years. You know, they're always 
bringing in the new developing technologies. There's like VR and AR stuff. They're always making new roller coasters. Yeah, you get to try something you've never done before, mm-hmm. which is really cool. I've never been a huge theme park person. They're fun, but I've always been like, ah, you know, you got to wait in line so much. They're kind of expensive. So I've been wishy-washy on it. I'm like, if I go to Japan, I don't want to waste my time at a theme park, right? Well, after doing some research today, that mostly holds true, but there's a, at least a couple that I would definitely go to if I was in the area in Japan. I feel the same way. I definitely found some that I want to go to now, but like, I've literally never been to an, any kind of amusement park in Japan because I always felt like it was like it had less cultural value kind of than like the other more quote unquote authentic experiences I could be having in Japan. Yeah. But it's like a lot of these amusement parks, I mean, they are a part of Japanese culture, you know, they have amusement parks that you won't find anywhere else in the world. I was just thinking, yeah, 200 amusement parks, like it's an ingrained part of Japanese society. It's very well developed industry in Japan. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, Paul, let's talk about the history of amusement parks in Japan. Yeah, not something I knew a lot about before going into this. Me either. Apparently, the precursors to amusement parks in Japan were botanical gardens. You know, the kinds of places where you go and look at pretty flowers, and that's kind of the whole amusement. So during the 16 to 1700s, there were a bunch of botanical gardens created by daimyo and temples. And, uh, you know, they're mostly for wealthier people. They would just come and visit and walk around and look at flowers, have a grand old time. The very first actual amusement park in Japan was called Hanayashiki. And when it opened in 1853, it was also just a botanical garden. But uh, in 1872, it finally got an amusement facility, which turned it into the first official amusement park. In the early 1900s, railroad companies started building amusement parks near railway stations to help increase ridership numbers, kind of a symbiotic relationship. And many of those developed into modern amusement parks. Mm -hmm. In 1911, the Hankyu Corporation opened Takarazuka Onsen, hot spring facility, and they opened it right at the end of this new railway that they built. So I helped you know, attract a bunch of passengers. Uh, The next year, 1912, the Keihan Electric Railway Company opened Hirakata Park in Osaka. And this is another one of those parks that was originally a botanical garden, but this one has actually since become the longest continually operating amusement park in the country. It's even still open now, and it has a bunch of rides and amusements these days. When it was first constructed, and it was a botanical garden, One of the sights you could see there was a collection of chrysanthemum dolls. So amusement parks have come a long way, I'd say. Did you look up any pictures of those dolls? (laughs) No, I didn't. I think I did. And I think they're like not what you might imagine. They're like life-sized, human-sized figures made of flowers. Yeah, check this out. Oh, those are pretty cool. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, it's like they're using the flowers as their clothes almost. Like they're creating their clothes out of a bunch of flowers. Yeah, the only thing that's actually a doll is like the head and the face. Yeah. 
That's kind of cool. It is cool. So even in the early 1900s, these types of places were still really only accessible to more wealthy people. That didn't really change until the show-op period, which started in 1926. This is around when amusement parks started to look more like they do today. Started bringing in mechanical rides like roller coasters, and that started attracting more younger people. Yeah, at the time, the entertainment industry in Japan was very much geared just towards men. Mm-hmm. And amusement parks were one of the first things that women and children could do, and it was really geared towards them. So it became a hit in that way. It was like, finally, something for us to go do. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, so more recently, throughout the 1900s, theme parks have gained a lot of popularity in Japan. 1983, Tokyo Disneyland opened, and that kind of started this rush to open a bunch of different theme parks because the economy was doing well, people had money to spend, they wanted to go have fun and do things. Uh, After Japan's economic bubble burst in the early 1990s, though, things have been a little rocky for the domestic amusement park industry. A lot of parks closed due to the struggling economy and because of competition from Western amusement parks, like Disney. Disney's always been a big name in amusement parks, even in Japan. In 2001, Tokyo Disney Sea and Universal Studios Japan also opened, and both of those were really big successes and kind of maybe took some attention away from domestic amusement parks. Definitely. You know, the ones in not as good a location or weren't as fun just didn't last in the 2000s, there's a more recent trend of small-scale themed parks or themed attractions. And those are some of the more unique ones that you see these days that we'll talk about a couple of those. Yeah, there's some really interesting ones that I was surprised to learn about. And I feel like I'd noticed just on my trips to Japan, when you see a theme park, I mean, there are a lot of them around, and a lot of them seem like they're smaller than the types of theme parks you would find, for example, in the U.S., Yeah, definitely. But uh, there's less room in Japan, too. So you can uh, maybe put more in a smaller space. If you're creative, you can get a lot of different amusements and rides crammed into a pretty small space. That's true. So now we're just going to talk about a bunch of different theme parks just to give examples of what's out there, what are they offering, what the experience is like. Obviously, there's over 200 theme parks, so we're only going to touch on a fraction of them, but we just found some ones that were either really big and famous or we thought were really interesting or show a different style of theme park. Or unusual. There are ones that I just never would have imagined, you know? Yeah, and there's so many more too, but we can't talk about 80 different theme parks today, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. I think it makes sense to start with the most popular ones, though. I think. Well, yeah. I think then we're going to have to start with Tokyo Disneyland, right? Pretty much gotta. In 2019, it was ranked the number three theme park in the world. Yep. After Disney World's Magic Kingdom and Disneyland in the USA. And like I said, that's 2019 data. There is data out there from 2020 and 2021, but I didn't want to use that because I didn't want the pandemic to be a factor in the rankings. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, everything totally changed. Yeah. So in 2019, the attendance at Tokyo Disneyland was 17.9 million people. (laughs) That's so many. Yeah. (laughs) A couple other facts. 
about it. It was the first Disney park to be built outside the USA. Yep. Kind of interesting. The first one just happened to be in Japan. It opened in 1983, and there are seven themed areas of the park. They got the World Bazaar. There are four classic Disneylands, which are Adventureland, Westernland, Fantasyland, and Tomorrowland. And then they have two mini lands, Critter Country and Mickey's Toontown. That's a lot of land. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Disney parks, they all have that similar Disney aesthetic. You know, you can expect to see the types of things you would see at Disneyland in the USA. Same types of rides, same characters, of course, that kind of stuff. The centerpiece to the park is even Cinderella's Castle, which is an identical copy of the one in Florida. I was going to say, it looks pretty similar. Yeah. <laughs> so it is that authentic Disney experience for sure. Yeah. You know, they have parades and shows. You can meet all the characters. Yeah. It's always They're fun. always doing seasonal decorations and events, so that can be kind of fun too. Mm -hmm. It's a Disneyland. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Everybody knows what Disneyland is. So I'd heard about Tokyo Disneyland, of course, and I was not interested because I've been to Disney World. I've done the Disney thing, you know? Yeah. But right next to Tokyo Disneyland is a place called Tokyo Disney Sea, which I think I had also heard of. But when I heard Disney Sea, I was thinking like, oh, this must be like a SeaWorld type thing. Do they have like, is it just a giant kind of aquarium place? They have maybe an orca. They do dolphin shows. But no, that's not at all what it is. Thankfully. Yeah. It's called Disney Sea because it was inspired by the sea, but it's basically just like another Disneyland that's kind of aimed a little more towards adults. Yeah. It's inspired by the myths and the legends of the sea from around the world. Mm -hmm. And you can drink alcohol in this park, unlike Disneyland. Huzzah! So that's another way that it definitely seems to be more geared towards adults. Yeah. Some quick stats for you. This ranked number four in the world as of 2019. Attendance was around 14.6 million. It's crazy that they can be three and four and they're so close to each other. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, Disney is really a powerhouse, you know? <laughs> yeah. And as for the location, it's on the edge of Tokyo Bay. That kind of plays into the whole sea theme. Yeah, there's a lot of water in the park. Yeah, there's like a man-made harbor inside the park. So you, you're seeing water everywhere you go. This one opened in 2001. And in addition to serving alcohol, it has faster, scarier rides. Oh, yeah. More adult-themed shows. There are also more sit-down restaurants than Disneyland, so, so they're supposed to have better food. Nice. Mm -hmm. I heard that in general, all amusement parks in Japan usually have better food than you find at amusement parks in America, is I what totally, I kept hearing from everybody. I believe it. I mean, amusement parks in the US, I feel like it's all the same garbage. You know, It's like the cheapest hot dogs, burgers, <laughs> and fries they can find. Yeah, seven bucks for a hot dog. Like, yeah. It's not a seven buck hot dog. Where are you finding seven dollar hot dogs, Paul? That sounds like a great deal. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, eleven bucks. <laughs> it's been a few years since I've been to an amusement park. Yeah. So within this man-made watery area, there are a bunch of ports, and each port has its own theme. So there's like there's a Mediterranean harbor that's made to look like an Italian port town. Paul, did you see Mysterious Island? Yeah. 
That looks so cool. That's supposed to be science-based, also journey to the center of the earth inspired. Yeah, it's actually inside this giant volcano in the middle of the park. And I saw not just science-based, but it's based on the writings of Jules Verne. So like yeah. science fiction, I guess. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was great. So you can take a submarine to explore the depths or take a journey to the center of the earth. Sounds pretty fun. Get a few drinks near and go, you know, 20,000 leagues under the sea. That was Jules Verne, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, there's a mermaid lagoon there. There's an Arabian coast. There's an American waterfront, too. It's supposed to be based on 20th century New England. I kind of want to just see that one to like see the interpretation of yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, it looks like a fun place. Mm-hmm. I'd probably definitely rather go there than Disneyland. Yeah. If I had to choose between one of the two. I mean, they serve alcohol. You do like to <laughs> I don't drink. Wanna, I, I don't want to overstate my fondness <laughs> for alcohol. I'm not like, don't worry, everybody. I'm okay. Jason only drinks when he podcasts. Exactly. And when he has friends over. And when he needs to pick me up. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm exploring the world of cocktails, Paul. It's a intellectual curiosity, not alcoholism. I buy it. So I think uh, the third theme park of the big boys, I think, has to be Universal Studio Japan. That's the one. It is located in Osaka, and as of 2019, it ranked number five in the world, with an attendance of 13.9 million. It has a bunch of rides and areas that'll sound familiar if you've been to a Universal Studios before. It's got a Wizarding World of Harry Potter section. It does, and I have a lot to say about that. (laughs) I bet you do. Um, So the flagship attraction is called Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey, which opened in 2014. And it's essentially a 4D experience, they call it. Maybe you've experienced this kind of stuff. It's like, you know, they have 3D, but then they add some more D. Uh, Okay. (laughs) With uh, other sensory experiences, you know, they might mess with the the temperature or they're blowing air in your face or maybe there's something in your chair that's maybe it's jostling you around or poking you in the back or something. Yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. I went to Universal Studios in Los Angeles a few times. Yeah. And my first experience of that was going on the Simpsons ride, which was great, by the way. But there's a point where Maggie, the baby, gets turned into a giant for some reason and she picks up the vehicle you're in and puts you in her mouth like she's sucking you like her pacifier. And then she pulls you back out and it sprays water on your face. So it feels like this baby just spit on you. I was kind of grossed out because I was not expecting it and it felt too real. Yeah. I feel like the squirting water on you is like a, a pretty standard gimmick in these 4D experiences because... I've definitely had that happen to me too. I don't even remember where. It might have been when I went to Disney World with my family when I was like a little kid. You know, mm. this is like, this is not a super new idea, this whole 4D experience. Yeah. And I don't remember what, it might have been like a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids thing or something. That was a big deal back back in our day. Yeah, I don't know. I remember getting water sprayed in my face. I remember like, they shot air up your pants legs to make it feel like there were like mice running up your legs or something like oh, that. Oh my goodness. 
Wait a minute. There was a B thing. What was that about? I remember somewhere there, you're supposed to be getting stung in the back and they would like poke you in the back. That sounds terrifying. I only have fragments of memories from that. I don't remember what that could have been. Anyway, so the Harry Potter thing. Back to the Harry Potter. So this 4D experience, you're strapped into this chair and you get to experience this whole story that takes place in Hogwarts with your favorite characters. They call it an unforgettable sensory adventure. Okay. I don't want to spoil too much about it. I I read kind of a a long description of what it's all about, but it sounds pretty cool. I'll say that. The one in LA was a really cool ride. It was definitely one of the best. Nice. You get to fly around, you get to play some Quidditch, and you know some stuff goes down. It's fun. Nice. Okay, I guess I do have a couple details here. Yeah, yeah. Let's hear it. If a dragon breathes fire on you, you feel the heat on your face. Or there are dementors around. If a dementor goes by, you can feel the chill. Ooh. Do you know about dementors? You didn't read the Harry Potter stuff, right? Yeah, I know about dementors. Okay. I watched most of the movies. Okay. So you know about the Whomping Willow? I must have missed that one. That's the tree that beats people up if they get too close. That sounds awful. Apparently that uh, happens in the sensory adventure and your chair gets jostled around. Why'd you get so close? Yeah. Probably a good reason. Maybe you're trying to save somebody or something. Who knows? You get chased by dementors. Yeah. So this 4D experience, this is just one attraction in the, the area of Universal Studios called the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. And the whole area just sounds real cool. You can walk around Hogwarts like they actually have, you know, the full-size castle there. And it even has water around it, so it looks just like it does in the movies, basically. It's the only one of the Harry Potter castles in the world that has the actual moat around it. That's cool. Yeah, um, the, whole, the whole place makes it feel like, feels like you're in a little town. Totally. It's made to be as immersive as possible. So you, you can even buy a robe and like dress up just like the students in the movies. You, know, you can pretend you're going to Hogwarts. Yeah. Um, you can explore the shops at Hogsmeade. You can go to Ollivander's and pick out a wand. And then around the park, you can use your wand to cast spells and make things happen. Like there are actually places where you can affect your surroundings with your magic. That's pretty, cool. It is pretty cool. They have Zonko's Joke Shop. You can go get some pranks and stuff there. Get some butterbeer. Yes, I'm very excited about that too. <laughs> Still haven't tried that stuff. Might have to make my own. There are a bunch of recipes out there, but I don't know how authentic they are. I want the official Butterbeer TM, you know what I'm saying? Well, none of it's authentic. Well, I trust the people that are like in charge of creating this immersive experience to make the most authentic Butterbeer, you know? Okay, fair enough. Okay, Paul, we need to talk about this other new attraction at Universal that I'm very excited about, and I think you are too. Super Nintendo World. Oh, dude. We need to talk about this for sure. Yeah. It just opened in March of 2021. And I mean, the first thing to know about it is it looks super cool. It looks just like a level in one of the Mario games. Like you look around and you're just surrounded by all these familiar scenes. You know, you can see the Koopas going back and forth. You see shells bouncing around all over the place. There are coins spinning. Yeah, it doesn't just look like it. It looks so much like you're in a game that I couldn't distinguish the concept art from the actual pictures people were taking in the park. 
because this is a new edition. So there's only so many pictures out there already. And I was getting a lot of concept art and a lot of pictures. And I was like, is this real? Does it really look like this? I had to go watch videos that people had taken to see like, wow, it really does look exactly like you're in a game. Yeah. And not only does it feel like you're in a game when you look around, you actually, in a sense, are inside a game because they make this whole place interactive. Did you read about the power-up wristbands, Paul? Yes, I did. So you can buy these little wristbands that you slap on, and there's a bunch of coin blocks all around the park, and you can punch them with your wristbanded hand, and you collect coins that you could use later on. And there's an app that you can get on your phone that the wristband connects to, so you can like track your progress and all this, all your stats yeah. in, in the app. And it makes the sound, oh man, it's just so cool. Yeah. But it's not just those blocks. There are like all these other things that you can interact with and other ways to earn coins. So, Paul, I know you saw the Mario Kart ride. Oh, yeah. This is an augmented reality ride. Like you actually get an AR headset, but you're also going down an actual physical track. And then in your AR headset, you're seeing these other characters racing with you. And each person in the cart gets their own steering wheel. So you can like, you know, you got to time your turns right and watch where you are on the track. So you get coins for turning at the right time. You can also get more coins by shooting green shells at people. And then at the end of the ride, they add up all the coins that your whole team got. And if you get enough coins as a group, you win. And there's like a positive ending. But if you lose there's a negative ending. Like, they're actually different endings of this ride, depending on how you performed. That's really cool. Yeah. You got to do it at least twice. Mm-hmm. And the second time, you just sit there. And you're like, I'm going to lose this one. Yeah, you got to just tank it. <laughs> <laughs> so I said in the intro that I'm not really a theme park guy. You know, I was never a Disney kid. So like, I don't have the attachment to those characters and those movies and stuff. It just, like, doesn't do it for me. But seeing this place, I get it now. I get it 100% why someone that loved the Disney stuff as a kid would want to go spend time in those parks. Because it looks like this place just feels like you're walking around inside a Mario game. And that just does it for me. I want to go so bad. This is 100% a place I would want to go if I was in Osaka. Yeah. I don't even care that much about the rest of the park. If I had time, I'd go ride a couple other rides, but I would be all over Super Mario Land. I think I need to spend a day at Harry Potter and a day at Mario. <laughs> so I didn't finish talking about all, all the, the wristband-related stuff. Paul, did you hear about the, uh, the challenges, the key challenges? What? No. Oh, my goodness, Paul. So there are these five challenges around the park where you can earn these keys in your app, you know, these virtual keys. And then those keys will unlock a boss battle with Bowser Jr. Nice. And the boss battle is a life-size 2D scrolling Mario stage. Oh, that's so You cool. actually get to run through a Mario level in 2D. Like your, your shadow cast on the wall can interact with things in the level. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. I want to jump on some Goombas 
Yeah, totally. <laughs> I want to kick some shells at people. You know, this was my one idea that I think could really uh, just kick the whole park up a notch. Okay. okay. Is when you walk in, they should have these green shells on casters just, uh, you know, scattered around the park and you can just kick them at people <laughs> and uh, hit them in the shins. Maybe they need to hand out shin guards to everybody so nobody gets hurt or something. But I feel like throwing shells at people is the, the experience that's kind of missing from the park. Okay. I mean, you can do it in the Mario Kart ride, but... Oh, maybe banana peels, too. They should have banana peels scattered all over. <laughs> Everyone has to wear hip pads for when you go down, and elbow pads, yeah, and a helmet. Have you ever seen somebody slip on a banana peel? I've slipped on a banana peel. Really? Yeah. I didn't go down. I slipped pretty good, but I caught myself. Mm. I was surprised. I, you know, that's a trope of course, in cartoons and stuff, but I'd never really considered the possibility of it happening in real life. But then I read online somewhere, somebody was talking about like, that's totally a real thing. Those things are super slippery when that, you know, the inside of the peel is Yeah, it's got to be face down. Yeah. Yep. Crazy. Yeah, I was surprised too. I was like, what? <laughs> that's a thing? <laughs> I was like, I had to yell at my roommates like, yo, make sure the banana peel gets in the garbage next time. I almost went down. <laughs> Awesome. All right, Paul, let's talk about some of the most popular amusement parks in Japan that are not theme parks. Okay. Just amusement parks. No particular theme. They're just amusing. Where should we start? Well, one really popular one that I saw is called Nagashima Resort. Okay. Or Nagashima Spa Land. This is located just outside Nagoya. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's got roller coasters, it's got thrill rides, it's got rides for kids, it's got a Ferris wheel, it's got a mega water park. Ooh, a mega water park, I like that. I put mega in all caps in my notes, so. I I do enjoy water parks. Yeah, I don't know, I feel like as a kid I kind of stayed away from water parks just because it felt like work to like change in and out of a swimsuit when you go to an amusement park. Oh yeah, so hard. I don't know. I guess it's one thing if you're like spending the whole day in the water park. I don't like going to a water park and then having to like change into normal clothes to go to the amusement park side. Maybe that's just a me thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never gone to a place where it's like both. Like if I go to a water park, I'm just going to the water park all day. Oh, sure. I mean, I've been, you know, like uh, Cascade Bay or whatever. I've actually never been there. What? How? just never came up well, anyway yeah i mean if i'm going to a dedicated water park sure whatever but i feel like a lot of places in the u.s it's like they have both side by side and you kind of got to go from one to the other and yeah there's a lot of that there's like the one or two water rides sometimes at an amusement park and it's yeah. like oh great now i'm all wet and i'm just now i gotta go ride all these normal rides the rest of the day like yeah. that's not fun exactly yeah Actually, we took a trip to Valley Fair, I think, in, I think it was the one we took in eighth grade or something. I don't know. All I remember is right at the end of the day, dumb little Paul went on the water ride and I got drenched right at the end of the day. And it was cold too. So I was like freezing. And then I had to go sit on the bus and I was just leaking everywhere. It was miserable. I hated myself for going on that ride it's, so much. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound too fun. It's like, what was I doing? Don't be too hard on poor little Paul, though. That poor little guy. 
Yeah, he grew up. He got a little smarter. <laughs> so Nagashima Resort it has 11 roller coasters, more than any other park in Japan. So if you like roller coasters, this is where to go. And it sounds like they have some really cool roller coasters. I think this is the place that I saw called the Cedar Point of Japan. Have you been to Cedar Point? No. I went there once on a band trip, I believe. Interesting. But um, yeah, it seems like this place has kind of brought together all of the coolest types of roller coasters around. Like, it's not just a bunch of the same type of roller coaster where you're just sitting in a cart and you go around a track. No, they have the ones where you're like Superman flying down this thing on your belly and they have corkscrews and spinny ones and like all this crazy stuff. The one I want to go on the most is called the Steel Dragon. It's the longest roller coaster in the world and the second highest and the second fastest. I saw it's about two and a half kilometers long. That's crazy. That's so much fun. I love the longer rides. I love the huge drops. I wish someone would make a roller coaster that was like 10 minutes long. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, it'd probably be kind of ridiculous. I wonder how long this one takes. I'm all for ridiculous. <laughs> I like the corkscrew ones too. They're quick. You know, they're usually like shorter, but it, the loops and spins are, are fun. Yeah. Uh, there's another roller coaster, White Cyclone, which is the world's biggest wooden roller coaster. Yeah. I saw some pictures of that. The frame is ridiculous on that thing. Like, it's so huge. What do you mean? Like, they have the, like, wooden lattice kind of thing holding it all up, Yeah, the lattice goes, like, way out, and it's so high, too. It's just, Mm. it's an amazing amount of wood. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The newest roller coaster is called Acrobat. Sounds fun. This is one of those ones where you're flying head first. They call it a flying-type coaster. And the water park area is also the largest, or not, not the largest, but one of the largest water parks in the world, so... Yeah, it looked impressive. Yeah. Yeah, this is a full-on monster theme park that's got everything. Totally. The one type of roller coaster I don't like is the ones that spin you around as you're going down the normal roller coaster track. Because mm. I don't do dizzy well. Like, that's too many different ways of movement at the same time for me. I'm cool with that kind of stuff like i don't mind being whipped around and flipped upside down and all that the thing that i don't like so much about some roller coasters and it seems like it's specifically the wooden ones is they're super bumpy by the time it's over i have a headache because i feel like my brain's just been bouncing around inside my (laughs) skull the whole time like i feel like with the newer more high-tech coasters they can get smoother and smoother that's what makes the wooden ones fun though is it? Yeah. <laughs> you get you get thrown around. Like it's it's a fun ride. I'm mean, getting thrown around is one thing, but like getting whiplash is another thing, you know? <laughs> I guess I've never been on one that bad. Or maybe I have and I didn't go again. I've been in ones where I had to like tense up my whole body so my head wasn't being bashed against the headrest the whole time. And like on some of those older ones, the headrests aren't cushioned. It's just like fiberglass or something, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Next one I got on my list is Fuji Q Highland. Yeah, we actually uh, drove by this one, didn't we? Yeah. I remember seeing it. Yeah, when we went to Mount Fuji, because this one is located near the base of Mount Fuji. 
you can go on the roller coaster there and look at the mountain. Yeah, everywhere in the park just has unbelievable views because it's right at the base of the mountain. Mm -hmm. So that's so cool, being up on a roller coaster and seeing that stuff, I imagine would be great. Uh, This park's known for the thrills. There's a lot of uh, fun rides, um, including a roller coaster with the world's steepest drop, 121 Mm. degrees. That sounds like fun. 121 degrees. Yeah. Sounds pretty steep, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's steepest in the world, apparently. Can you imagine like how they calculate? There's 90 degrees, 120. Okay, okay, yeah, I get it. I imagine that's steep. Yeah. And that first drop, I mean, on a lot of roller coasters, that's what it's all about is just that first drop where you feel your stomach coming up to your throat, you know? Yeah. The anticipation as you're like climbing higher, 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 Mm -hmm. right at the peak, and then you start going. Do you try to get at the very front? Um, no, I don't care that much. I would prefer to be in the front, but I feel like everybody's always trying to go up. There's like a long line for it. Yeah, if if it was empty, I would go to the front. Yeah, but yeah, I don't. I don't care that much. Mm. There's four major roller coasters. They have a couple that used to hold world records. Fujiyama used to be the world's tallest. And there's one called Dodonpa that used to be the world's fastest. It still does have the highest acceleration at launch time, though. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's even more important. You know, the acceleration is what you feel more than the actual speed. Because that's where you're getting pressed back into your seat, you know? Right, yeah. The acceleration, I think, is more important than the speed. So another thing that looked really cool to me at FujiQ Highland is their haunted attractions. Yeah, I was going to say, like, they go above and beyond with this stuff. Yeah, and haunted house kind of stuff is pretty popular in Japan in general, I think, maybe more than in the U.S. Like, here, haunted houses pop up around Halloween, and maybe they'll have one at, like, a state fair or something. Yeah. But besides that, you don't really see them that often. But in Japan, it seems like in the summer especially, they're just all over the place all the time. Summertime is ghost time in Japan. Yeah. And they do it well. So at FujiQ Highland, they have a place called the Haunted Hospital Super Scary Labyrinth of Fear. <laughs> it is the world's longest haunted attraction. It takes about 50 minutes to get through this thing. It's two stories. <laughs> I saw a video and it looked cool like they have a lot of gore and like bloody torn apart people you know yeah i heard one guy talking about it and like he ran into a group of like 20 people in front of him because they all got so scared that they just like banded up into a (laughs) super group to like be less scared and make it through nice i think i read that uh or i saw a video where this guy said you go in in groups of four So maybe that was five groups that all clumped together, but like normally you're supposed to go in as a group of four so that they can come at you from all sides and you get that full experience. Yeah. There was another thing I saw that looked really cool called the Ultimate Fort. Did you read anything about this? Dude, it looks so cool, but really difficult. Yeah. So I, I went back just today and did some extra research on this because, I don't know, there's not a ton of stuff out there about it. And I was getting a little confused because... It seems like the, there have been three iterations, basically, of this concept. The first one was around 2013, I think. Okay. And it was 
a 3,000 plus meter maze with puzzles that you have to solve to escape. So it's almost like a maze plus an escape room type situation. And there was a time limit of 20 minutes to get through this thing. And the successful escape rate was one out of every 100,000 people. Right. 100,000 groups, or I guess people too. It makes sense. Groups? Yeah, I heard you went in as groups, at least now. Hmm. But you can get like separated from your group behind like a secret door will like shut and like (laughs) lock you in and you're just stuck and that's where you're going to spend the time (laughs) until your group's done. (laughs) So that was what I read about the 2013 one. But like I said, they're on the third version and the concept for this newest one is that it's a laboratory. Oh, I didn't even say the theme for the first one. It was supposed to be like a prison that you're trying to escape from. The new one is a laboratory that has been hijacked by an AI entity. Ooh, that sounds cool. Sort of artificial intelligence, which has locked it down and they won't let anyone enter. So it's like a lab that this AI turned into a fortress and you need to outsmart the AI and solve these puzzles to get inside. All right, just need to feed it some logical fallacies. (laughs) Yeah, give it some uh, paradoxes and (laughs) just watch his brain explode. (laughs) But I also saw that this newest one says that the time required is approximately 20 minutes to an hour or more. So I don't know if it, it sounds like it doesn't have that same 20 minute limit anymore. Maybe they wanted to give people more of a chance to complete it. I don't know, but it sounds fun. Sounds like something worth checking out. Yeah, that'd maybe be the first place I'd go at Fuji Q. There's one other attraction I thought sounded really cool called Fuji Airways. It's a 4D theater that gives you the experience of flying from Tokyo to Mount Fuji. Like not in a plane? Like it's not just a a simulation of sitting in an airplane, I assume. No, it's like open below you. Like you're Superman flying around through the air yourself. Okay, you're a bird? Water... It seemed like you were in like a glider, but there was like no floor below you or anything. So you could see everything. So you're in Wonder Woman's airplane or whatever. Yeah, sure. She had an invisible plane. Yeah, you're in the invisible plane. Okay. And it shows all sorts of different views of the mountain at different heights and it goes up and down and shows you different seasons too. So it'll show you Hmm. all the different views of Mount Fuji possible. Sounded kind of cool. It does sound cool. And a nice tie-in to where they're located to make it a unique experience. You can only get there. Nice. Paul, I think at the beginning you hinted at uh, these history parks, right? Didn't you mention something about that? I did. And I believe we've actually talked about uh, one or two of these in previous episodes. I have four written down, and I'm pretty sure we've at least mentioned three of them. Okay. But I don't know how much detail we went into. But either way, I don't know. I don't have a ton of stuff about these because they're all, they all kind of have the similar, I mean, it's a similar concept. They have the same right. types of things. Right. The first one on my list is Noboribetsu Date Jidai Mura which is uh, located in the hot spring town of Noboribetsu in Hokkaido. And this place was actually developed by the descendants of Kojuro Katakura, who was a retainer of Masamune Date, a very important figure in Japanese history. 
And this is a place that is based around the Edo period. So you can dress up as a samurai or an aristocrat, either just to take a picture, or you could actually dress up for the whole day if you wanted to be, you know, enjoy the immersion there. Yeah, so all the buildings are going to be Edo style. There's going to be actors walking around wearing the full costumes. Just that immersive experience Mm -hmm. of this is what it was like in the Edo period. Yeah, you can explore the Katakura residence and other traditional houses. You can try some martial arts, traditional festival games. You can try spinning tops. You can paint Kokeshi dolls. Are you familiar with Kokeshi dolls? No. They're pretty cool. It's like a very traditional style of Japanese doll where they're made of wood and they're turned on a lathe. So they're like cylinders with a round ball on the top that's the head and then they paint them in a particular style. And you can try your hand at painting them here. Oh. Do they put little clothes on them too? No, not like cloth clothes. I think the clothes are painted on as well. Okay. Sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, they have ninja shows too if you're into ninjas. Yeah, there's a ninja maze. There's a ninja museum. <laughs> Lots also, of ninja stuff. Yeah. <laughs> people like ninjas. They know. They know who their audience is, you know? Um, did I mention already the Katana Museum and Samurai Resource Center? No. They have those as well. I'm interested in checking out Onyanko Temple. What's that? Well, Onyanko, you've heard Nyan before, right? Nyan. Nyan, Nyan. <laughs> Maybe once or twice. Nyan is like meow. So Nyanko is a kitty cat, okay, basically. Like, like Neko? Yeah. And uh, so Onyanko is a temple that's filled with Maneki Neko. Those are those little cat the figures that are beckoning, welcome, exactly. lucky cat. Yeah. But when you get inside, like, you know, you're, you're outside, you're thinking, oh, this is just a cute kitty cat type of place. You walk inside and then you realize it's actually a haunted temple filled with demonic cats. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm like mildly, I don't want to say scared of cats, but I've run into a couple mean, mean cats in my life. I'm wary of cats. This place, I think, would spook me out. I know this about you and it makes me sad, Paul. Because my cats were the sweetest things. They were. I loved, I loved your cats, bro. But uh, not all cats are like that. That's true. You know, some people think of cats as like, they're cool for a while, and you pet them, and they're purring, and they're happy, and then all of a sudden, they like, rip your face off for no reason, <laughs> you know? But I wasn't raised with cats either, so maybe I'm just not reading the body language right or something to, you know? Maybe. Um, so the the reason apparently for this demon cat thing is that Noboribetsu is also known as Hokkaido's demon town because of its proximity to Jigokudani, aka Hell Valley. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, demon cats. I don't know. That sounds interesting enough to be worth a visit. Yeah, definitely. So there's also one called Edo Wonderland. Nico Edomura. It's in Nico, of course. as the name would suggest. Well, we talked about it in our Nico episode, episode 80. So I don't know. I wasn't going to spend much time on it just because we already kind of covered it. But this is probably the most popular Edo period theme park in Japan. Yeah, honestly, a lot of the same stuff. 
yeah. at this one too. Yeah, you can try being a ninja. Oh, one thing I did see that seemed pretty unique is that you can dye some clothes with indigo. You can try your hand at indigo dyeing. That is cool. Yeah, That's I would really try cool. that. Uh, you can check out swords. You can throw ninja stars. You know, Edo period type stuff. Yeah, one positive comment I, I saw in the reviews of this place was that there's a nice range of how you're feeling. There's like the really busy streets where you can like buy food and souvenirs and do attractions, but there's also temples you can go to that are a little different atmosphere. There's also a quiet garden area where you can go to relax and walk along. So you can get a lot of different experiences through the day and go different places based on how you're feeling. Cool. Would you want to go to one of these places? Like, would you go there, or would you rather go to, like, some small town that's actually got, like, a historic samurai part that still exists? I've said before that this place, Edo Wonderland, has been on my list. Okay. I, I planned to go there on my last trip, and I didn't make it because it was raining. But, uh, yeah, I would totally go here just because... It's not just like you see some old buildings. It's the whole feel of it. You know, you got samurai walking around and they're addressing you like you're some old Japanese lord or something. Okay. I'm on the fence. I want to experience that time period, not just look at old buildings. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So this next place is another one that we've mentioned before. It's in Kyoto. It's called Toei Studio Park. And it's not only an Edo-themed park, it's also an actual film studio. Yeah. About 200 Edo and Showa period films have been produced here. That's so cool. Showa period being World War II in the aftermath kind of era. Or a little bit before World War II to after. I think that period started in 1926. Yeah, I believe that's right. So they have like some similar stuff to the other parks we just mentioned, but there's also a lot of stuff about filmmaking and period dramas. Yeah, there's a theater where you can go watch films. Like they'll be playing old films that were shot there. And sometimes you can actually see a movie being filmed there. Yep. That would yeah, be pretty cool. Have you, have you ever been on a film set, Paul? No. I've had to like walk around them to avoid them once or twice when I lived in LA, mm. but I've definitely never been on one. Well, you never like walked up and watched for a while? No, I was never into that. Mm. I was on a local news show once <laughs> back in high school. Why? Uh, our baseball team was really good. Somehow I knew it was going to be baseball related. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? You know, it's a good guess. Anything in my life that happened, baseball is a good guess. Mm. It cut off the top of my face because I was in the top row. It was like three <laughs> rows of us. Oh. So you could see my mouth. I just had this huge grin on my face. You could see, <laughs> see my grin, but you couldn't see my eyes or the top of my head mm. or anything. It was mm. kind of funny. <laughs> the trademark Paul grin. You yep. got a distinctive grin. I do. I do. Anyway. I've been on a surprising number of film and TV sets for like having never been involved in that industry or anything. Really? Just randomly. Like when I was a kid, my family went on a trip to Canada and the hotel that we were staying at, they were using as a film set. What? Yeah. What part of Canada? Uh, British Columbia. I think it was like Victoria. Okay. Interesting. And they built this whole like old English town right outside the hotel. 
and we, we just sat and watched for a while. Was uh, everyone in the crew just like staying at your hotel? I don't know. All, right. All that we saw was, you know, the set outside. Interesting. And then there was, when I was a kid, there was a movie, or in high school, there was a movie that was being filmed in my neighborhood. A bunch of like my neighbors and friends' houses were being used. What to movie do did they film in your neighborhood? Sugar and Spice. What is that? It was a uh, kind like a of Hallmark movie or something. No, it was like a teen dramedy, maybe. Okay, and they chose know. suburban Minnesota. Well, they used my neighbors' houses for inside scenes, like they for bedrooms and that kind of stuff. Okay, they would build them in people's garages and sure. stuff. And then there was an outdoor scene they filmed at the end of my street where some people are sitting in a car and they were filming like a conversation in the car. Okay, okay. And then they filmed like at local schools and stuff to get scenes at football fields and things like that too. Interesting. Did you watch the movie? Yeah. Was it any good? Eh, Average. Okay. It wasn't like... It's kind of fun to see the local places. Yeah, and it's like fun seeing, you know, oh, that house was like where my best friend lived when I was a kid. (laughs) I actually remember visiting you in Boston when you were in college, Mm -hmm. and we went and saw The Departed. I think we saw The Departed there, and it was filmed all over Boston, so I'm like seeing all the places I had just been to in like the last three days in this movie and all the locations, and I thought it was really Mm. cool. That's funny. Also, when I was in Boston, I was like walking around one night in the middle of the night it was like 1 a.m. And then I saw this huge spotlight just sticking up out of this neighborhood. And I'm like, what the heck is going on over there? And we, I walked over there and they were filming a pilot for a TV, a TV pilot at this restaurant. So it was really weird. It's like the whole city is deserted. Boston is like not one of those cities that's busy all night long. Yeah, know? the train stops at like 11 or midnight or whatever yeah. and everything just kind of dies. Yeah, so it's just like empty and then you you see this one spot where this restaurant is filled with people. There's a spotlight on like the street in front of it and oh, that's, that's cool. cool. Anyway, that was a pretty long tangent. Yeah. What are we talking about? <laughs> Toei Studio Park. Yeah. You know, we got us talking about movies and film sets. You do photo sessions with the characters and the actors from the shows that they do, which is kind of cool. You can, of course, dress up in uh, some old-timey clothes to walk around. There's more ninja and samurai stuff, of course, because everybody likes ninjas and samurai. They're pretty cool. There's actually a Dragon Ball Z museum and an anime museum. In the park? (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. And a haunted house. Because Japan. Yeah. I want to check out all the haunted houses. So it sounds like this place can keep you busy all day. Especially if you're into if you're into film and interested in that at all. Oh, I bet you could geek out so hard. Definitely. So what's next? Uh, the last history-themed park I have is Issei Azuchi Momoyama Bunkamura which is in Ise City in Mie Prefecture. And this one actually isn't an Edo period-themed park. This one goes a, just a tiny bit further back into history to the Azuchi Momoyama period, which was right at the end of the Sengoku period, the Warring States period that we've talked about many, many times. So just before the Edo period, basically. We're talking like end of the 1500s. And the main attraction is 
this recreation of Azuchi Castle, which was Oda Nobunaga's palace. So you can explore that. You can look out over Ise Bay from the top. And in the summer, they turned the castle into a ghost castle. Oh, nice. Yeah, supposed to be real scary. One unique thing about this place I saw, they reenact Edo period court cases. Like actual real cases? I think Edo style court cases. Okay. So they'll have a guy that's a Machi Bugyo, which is a town magistrate, and kind of reenact what that looked like or how that went down hmm. back in the Edo period. I cool. thought that was kind of fascinating historically. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what that looks like. I mean, that was, we talked about how they used to like tattoo criminals and stuff. Was this, this was like that time period, right? Yeah, yeah. To see what kind of punishments were dished out, how they went about hearing evidence. Yeah. I imagine it wasn't as, uh, I don't know, back around that time period, things were kind of more. What's the word I'm looking for here? Draconian? Yeah, I think you could say that. In some cases, at least. But uh, it'd be interesting, too, to see the kind of cases. I bet a lot of them weren't super serious stuff. Like, there'd only be so many cases for murder or whatever. A lot of them might just be like, my neighbor's cattle keep wandering and eating my crops. You need to do something about this. You know, like the little squabbles people have that somebody needs to sort out. That would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, I also saw you can try archery there. That's always fun. Shooting some bows and arrows. Yeah. Uh, You can watch some period theater. Cool. Yeah. Shall we move on to some cultural theme parks? Yes. And these seemed unusual to me. Like, I don't, I can't think of anything in the U.S., like this really the only thing that comes to mind for me is like the christian stuff what like the noah's ark park what yeah i heard about that no they built like a supposed life-size replica of noah's ark and there's like a theme park surrounding it there's a few christian theme parks in the united states hmm you know obviously just like not on your radar (laughs) but no not really the same type of thing, though. I mean, that's a specific, like... It's the closest culture, thing that came to mind. But these ones in Japan, we're talking about, like, these are theme parks based on specific countries outside of Japan. Yeah. And at first, I was like, that's kind of weird. But then I thought about it, and I think I, I came up with a few reasons that this might be a thing in Japan. One is that, well, Japan is pretty far away from, you know, a lot of Western type places definitely takes a lot of money and stuff to like travel to you know europe or whatever yeah i don't even know how long of a flight that would be but a long ways you might even need to stop at some point another thing i thought of is that even when japanese people do travel abroad i've heard that a lot of people travel in these big tour groups yeah because maybe they're not so comfortable with their English, like they don't want to have to worry about the language barrier as much. you know if they have a tour guide that's showing them everything and explaining everything in Japanese kind of just takes a lot of pressure off of the trip, right? Yeah, definitely. So parks like these let people get a taste of a different culture 
without leaving the comfort zone of you know their home country. And another reason I thought of is that, at least for this first one, we're going to talk about the area of Japan where the park is located has a specific relationship with this other culture that the park is themed on. Yes. So this first place is called House Tenbos. At least that's how it's pronounced in Japanese. I have no idea how this is pronounced in Dutch because it's a Dutch theme park. Yes. And it's named that because it's named after one of the residences of the Dutch royal family. So this place is located in Nagasaki, which had a port that did a lot of business with the Netherlands. Yeah, for I think almost a 200-year span, the Dutch were the only European country allowed to trade with Japan. Yeah. So the place is is spelled H-U-I-S space T-E-N space B-O-S-C-H. So when I first saw it, I'm like, who is Ten Bosch? I don't know how it's pronounced in Dutch, but... Right. I watched a video, Haus ten Bos is how it's pronounced in Japanese. That's how I heard a European guy say it, and I was like, hey, he'd maybe know better than me, so we can go with that. Who knows? I don't know any Dutch. Sorry. Me either. I'm sorry. Gotta ask Blue Katie. She would know. <laughs> Slide into those DMs, bro. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone gets that reference, I'll send him a gotcha poem or something. <laughs> um... Oh, this is also the biggest theme park in the country, apparently. Even bigger than the Disney parks. Can you believe that? Only because I heard that. <laughs> but yeah, I was surprised too. I so actually, a lot to explore here. Yeah, I went to Google Maps and compared them just to make sure. Like, really? <laughs> so this place is going to feel very European, of course. They've reproduced a Dutch old town. You're going to see canals running through the whole place. They got windmills. They got Dutch gardens, tons of tulips. Everywhere. Yeah. Dutch architecture. In spring, there's actually a tulip festival with even more tulips than usual. Mm -hmm. You can take a boat ride down the canal. There are European-themed hotels around the park that you can stay at. I saw a video where this guy stayed at like one of the more expensive ones. It looked super nice. There's a bunch of hotels that are like, built like old style houses. So it feels like you're living in a house. You get a little living room and there's an upstairs bedroom mm. and it's right at the edge of the park. Okay. So it feels like you're just living in a different country while you stay there. Interesting. I saw that there are actually Dutch style houses there that you can buy. You wow. can live in in the park. That's interesting. I didn't know that. And there's a canal right in front of your house and a windmill on the other side of the canal. And these are, of course, like super expensive places. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought that was kind of crazy. There's a bunch of museums featuring Dutch art and even chocolate. <laughs> and there's, you know, the amusement rides are there too. This is also one of the places where you can visit a henna hotel. What's that going to be like? That's one of those hotels that's staffed almost entirely by robots. Ooh. Talked about those in episode 76. Yep. About robots. That'll be fun. I don't think they're Dutch robots, but I'm not even sure. That hotel, is it in the park, do you know, or is it like on the edge of it? Seems like that would be a weird thing to have in the park. I'm not sure. Yeah. Usually the hotels are connected somehow, but they're not always in it in my experience, but I don't yeah. know. 
I don't know. Would you stay at the robot hotel or a Dutch themed hotel? Robot, probably. Yeah. Oh, at the the fancy hotel this guy stayed at, they also had a masquerade ball that he was invited to. That sounds fun. Yeah. I wonder if you you have to bring your own mask. They probably provide a mask. They gotta have a few to choose from. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. One of the cool things about this place is that around 6 p.m., they turn on a light and sound show Mm. that looks really amazing. They have lights and projections that shine off all the canals and the buildings and the flowers. And it seems like a really cool experience. Well, the Netherlands isn't the only European country you could experience in Japan, is it, Jason? No, it is not. You can also experience Spain in Mie Prefecture at Shima Spain Village. It's got roller coasters, an adventure lagoon ride, a hey, mystery hey, hey. house. Yes, Paul? I hate to interrupt you, but not, not just roller coasters. There's a steampunk-themed roller coaster called the Iron Bull. Oh, yes. It's an indoor roller coaster, too. That's cool. Go on. Oh, I was going to let you, but... I mean, this is, this is a crazy roller coaster. It's based on the idea of bullfighting, you know, Spain. It makes sense. But they're mechanical bulls. And not like the mechanical bulls that you see people riding in bars, you know, the padded no. thing. Have you ever done that, Paul? Um, no. Yeah, me either. But this is not that. This is, well, you said steampunk, right? Yeah. They're steampunk Bulls, it's a retro-futuristic iron bull factory. The idea is that they're preparing these mechanical bulls for battle. It just sounds like the craziest It sounds concept. really fun. It sounds yeah. really fun. It does. Did you mention the mystery house? Um, I think I said mystery house, but do you right. have more details? You quest to find the fairy goblin of the forest. Fairy goblin? <laughs> yeah. I've never heard those two words put together like I that. I haven't either, so sounds interesting. Yeah. You get your photo in traditional Spanish costumes. Nice. They have flamenco dance performances. There's a recreated Spanish castle that's actually a museum inside. Is that the Xavier Castle Museum? Uh, gotta be, because I think there's only one castle. I would assume so. Does Xavier ring a bell at all, maybe? A little yeah. Bit? We've talked at least a couple times now about Francis Xavier. He was the first Christian missionary to Japan. We talked about him bringing Christmas to Japan. I know that was one episode where we talked about him. He also is known for having shamed Japanese people for mixed-sex bathing. <laughs> You win some, you lose some. Yeah. yeah, so this castle museum is a reproduction of the birthplace of Francis Xavier. He was born in a castle? Apparently. Oh, they were an aristocrat. It wasn't poor Christian missionaries that got to go from Spain <laughs> to Japan to spread the good word. That's true. <laughs> it's not the poor people that got trained to read in the first place. Yeah. Uh, there's also an ice castle. I thought was interesting. That's cool. Ice castles are fun. It's there year round too. What? Because it's indoor. (laughs) What? (laughs) Indoor ice castle. That's crazy. In a giant freezer. We're going to build a castle out of ice and then we're going to build an even bigger building around that (laughs) castle so it stays ice. Yeah. 
I love these ideas. Who pitched that idea the first time? I don't know. And I don't know what. And everyone was like, brilliant. What does it have to do with Spain anyway? I don't know where what the connection is there. Really. Castles? I, but there's, I, I don't think there's well, a rich tradition of ice castles in Spain. From the tiny video I saw, it doesn't even really look like a castle. It's more like, I don't know, they're like ice walls. But you can look up and see like the roof of this, you know, big warehouse type looking yeah. place that it's in. You know, you want an ice castle? Yeah, I come to Minnesota. Yeah, we've had some amazing ones. I feel like they're not as, I feel like nothing is as great in recent years, honestly. The world has been going downhill for a while now. <laughs> Well, in this case, I think you're right because it's so warm every winter now. They like have trouble keeping those big buildings frozen. Yeah. I remember there was one year, probably like almost 20 years ago now, but it was just an actual legitimate freaking castle made of ice, like a massive castle. And it was all lit up in different colors and it was amazing. Yeah. There were some years where they did it good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now we've just got a few other amusement parks that don't really fall into any group. They're just other amusement parks that we wanted to mention for various reasons. Yes. Where do you want to start with, Jason? First one on my list is Tokyo Joypolis. Oh, yeah. This place seems so cool. This is the place where I was talking about, like, everything's innovative. I've never done any of these things before. If I went there, every single thing would be new to me. Definitely. That sounds so cool. Yeah, this is all cutting-edge technology. So this is located in Odaiba, Tokyo, which is that man-made entertainment island in Tokyo Bay, basically. Like, it's made to be an entertainment district. Yeah, nobody lives on that island, I'm pretty sure. I don't think so. This specific Tokyo Joypolis place features arcade games and rides from Sega. And it's one of the biggest indoor theme parks in the world. And... Sega gets really creative with these attractions because they're kind of combining video games with these giant amusement park rides. Yeah. Dude, the one I saw right away that stands out to me is it's virtual reality, but they had this huge open room that these like six or eight people or whatever were running around with. I think it was a shooting game. They all had a gun. Mm. So you were in virtual reality and what you were seeing, but you were actually like walking and running in the real world, moving around. That's the kind of VR I want to experience. Like I have the PlayStation VR, but you can't move around too much. You got to face in one direction. You can't step too far in any direction or you'll be you know, out of view of the camera that's tracking your movements and stuff. But man, that's the future of VR is being able to live in this virtual world that you can actually move around inside and feel, you know, you're actually moving around with your feet and stuff. I feel like I would probably get less sick if I was actually moving, if my body was actually moving the way my eyes thought I was moving. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's one step closer to a holodeck. Yeah. Oh, man. Don't get me started. <laughs> We're getting there. I've been watching a lot of DS9 lately, and uh, I don't think that we're going to be alive for like full holodeck no. implementation, but, but they're going to be the best thing ever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, there's another VR ride. It's a racing game based on Sonic the Hedgehog. Did you see this? Yeah. You're actually running on a treadmill as Sonic. I yeah. Suppose. That's it, pretty cool. It looked pretty fun. 
Uh, they have a roller coaster that somehow combined with a rhythm game, like yeah. the music. You game. shoot beats and rhythms or sounds and rhythms somehow in a way that like gets you points if you do it well. I bet you'd clean up, bro. You'd be my ringer. Let's go. Let's be a team. I've been playing a lot of rhythm games lately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gotta say, I've been like switching between them, and those are my favorite types of games because you're actually developing a skill. You know, it's not just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, those are my favorite mean. types of games where you actually need reflexes and like you have to train your brain to. I actually just got games. into a new game like a few days ago that I'm super into. Mm-hmm. Remind me to tell you about it later. Okay, I will. Uh, they have a ride called Half Pipe Tokyo. It yeah. simulates riding on a half pipe. You can actually do spins and compete with other riders for a top score. That one looks super cool, but also I don't think I'd ever try it. I'm pretty sure I would throw up after doing that one. Yeah. Because I don't do dizzy well. I know that about you. But man, it looked fun. It does. Uh, there's another kind of virtual type game called Spicy Taxi. <laughs> Spicy Taxi? Did you hear about this one? No, what is that? It's a driving simulator, but you're in this 360-degree virtual environment. Okay. So it's not just a screen in front of you. You can look all over, and it feels like you're actually driving a spicy taxi. That's cool. I don't know why it's spicy exactly, but... There's an Attack on Titan attraction that looks pretty cool. Are there actual Titans? Uh, I think like it's like video. It kinda, you know, It's one of those rides where like, you get in a little thing and like, it looks like you're in that world. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. He like, uh, all the walls show pictures. So it looks like a Titan's l- eyeball is looking right at you. And yeah. Fun. Yeah. If you know Attack on Titan, you'll probably enjoy it. Yeah. Look, look cool. For sure. Yeah. That's just a tiny fraction of the rides at this place, like, or the attractions at this place. Yeah. Like, it, there's so much there and it looks amazing. There's a real life board game you can play too that, like, all the different places you have to go to all the different parts of the park and like interact with the pad you get to like play this game and look pretty cool. Hmm. So just like really innovative, like all this stuff's just really, really cool. Yeah. They're pushing the boundaries of what you can do. This with. one's definitely on the list too. Yeah. I'm going to super Mario land for sure. And I'm going to Tokyo Joy- Joyopolis for sure. Maybe some of the others if I have time. All right, so coming on from that one, let's move on to another one that I don't want to be mean, but Sanrio Puroland bored the heck out of me. Bored you? Yeah. Doesn't look fun? I was reading about it, and I was like, I don't understand what's there. Like, what's there? So then I watched a video about it, and I was like, okay, I get it now. It's just like a place for kids. But man, it looks so boring. <laughs> Just to give an overview, it's uh, it's located in Tokyo, and Sanrio is the company that created Hello Kitty. So basically, this place is built around Hello Kitty and her associated other characters. Yes. It's an indoor theme park. And yeah, I, I guess I see what you mean. Like when I saw videos, it seemed like a lot of it is just kind of a cutesy type of atmosphere. There are little like plays and stuff with the characters. And you can meet the characters, but it all like the characters all seemed a little bit creepy to me because when I think of these Sanrio characters, I think like they're supposed to be cute and little, but then you see Hello Kitty that's like as tall as you are with this massive head. Yeah, and I was like, that's 
not as cute. Yeah, yeah. And then like there's these little attractions and tiny rides that are like only fun for kids. Mm. You know, then it's cool. Like if you had kids and they were into Sanrio, they'd have a blast. Yeah. Know, but or if you were just one of those people that's real into Hello Kitty. Yeah. When I worked in There's a really big gift shop or a bunch of different gift shops selling everything they've yeah. got. When I worked in LA, there was this woman that was so into Hello Kitty. Like you would walk by her desk and it was covered in Hello Kitty stuff. There were a lot of women in LA like into Hello Kitty. Mm. You can visit Hello Kitty's private residence. You can take a boat ride through Sanrio's world. The one thing that stuck out to me that looked pretty cool was the food. Like a lot of these themed park type places have themed food and the Hello Kitty food was really well done. Like it looks tasty, but it also looks extremely on theme. Like they have Hello Kitty's face burnt into the top of your sandwich or like, I don't know, every single thing on the menu looked like it had some tie-in with a character. Yeah. So two things to say about the food, because I researched this a little bit, because it looked like the most interesting thing about this whole place to me. It is incredibly kawaii food. It's like one of the best examples of kawaii food I've ever seen. It looks outstanding. Yeah. I also heard it just doesn't taste good. <laughs> it's edible, but it's not good. I believe it. The priority is the look. Yeah, but it looks cute. You will get the cutest picture <laughs> of your plate before you eat it. Yeah. And that's really what people go to amusement parks for is Instagram pictures, right? Yeah. I mean, people are going to Sanrio Park for the cuteness. Yeah. Or is that? Puro land, I should say. Okay, next one. Suzuka Circuit. Sounds really cool. This is an actual motorsport racetrack in Mie Prefecture. It's owned by Honda. Formula One racetrack. Like a real one. Yeah. And there's also an amusement park. Right. The amusement park is called Motopia. Car themed. Yep. Supposed to be a utopia for people and vehicles. Sounds pretty cool. It does. I like cars. Who doesn't, right? Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of fun stuff you could do for adults and kids. You can go-kart on an actual racing course. And if you're an adult, you can like get this advanced license sort of thing that lets you like do it again and again and basically do time trials. Like you can nice. try to improve your racing skills and yeah. get faster. I did high-speed go-karts once a few years back, and it was really fun. I've never done that. They went up to like 45 miles an hour, I think, or something, and you got to like take them sideways around corners. Yeah, you can drift in them. It was fun. That sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They also have this roller coaster where you're actually like riding on a motorcycle on a roller coaster track, and it leans into the turns so you can see what it feels like to race a motorcycle at high speeds. That's super cool. Yeah. There's an aqua park as well, so a water park. Mm -hmm. With some bumper boats. Bumper boats was always like my favorite water ride. Hmm. Bumper boats is a lot of fun. Okay. I don't think I've done that. If you ever get the chance. There's this other roller coaster where you're sitting in a car and you actually get a steering wheel. Like you're steering on this roller coaster. So it's like you can't go off the track, of course. But if you don't handle the car appropriately, you can spin out and then you'll slow down. That's kind of cool. That's really innovative. 
Yeah, this place sounds cool. I would consider going here. A lot of unique stuff I think you could do here. Yeah. And like I said, there's a lot of stuff for kids too. They can race electric motorcycles. You know, they don't go very fast. Kids can't really hurt themselves. But if I was a kid, I'd think that was pretty fun. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would have loved that. So this next one was, I think, one of the most unique ones I came across because I just never knew anything like this existed. It's called Kid Zania. And there are two locations. They have one in Tokyo and Osaka. And it's essentially an indoor job theme park for kids. So the whole place is like a mini replica of a real city. There are shops, theaters, uh, there's a doctor's office, a post office, and kids get to go work at all these different businesses to earn fake money that they can then spend at the gift shop for prizes. So if you are a parent and you want to indoctrinate your kid into capitalist dogma and consumerism, (laughs) this is the perfect place for you. Honestly, I was just going to say, I can't make up my mind if this place is really cool or just a front to brainwash our children into capitalism thought that their identity is tied to their profession. I was joking. Like I, I don't I I'm don't not. think this is necessarily a <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I mean it looks like the kids are having fun. And that's good. That's and good. uh then I'll let it go. <laughs> I'll let it go. I don't know. You can... It does seem like something I might enjoy if I was a kid. Kids want to act out the things they see adults doing, like giving them a chance to like do that and explore what they would find fun and not. does seem like a cool thing. Yeah. And parents can actually have fun there too because you don't even need to watch after your kids. The kids get these electronic wristbands and then the parents can track them remotely Okay, now I'm starting... This thing is kind of dystopian, this whole... A little bit. A <laughs> little bit. The parents are just like upstairs. Like There's like a movie theater or something yeah. upstairs you can go right. to. That is kind of cool, though. You can, you can let your kids run around for a couple hours and you can go watch a movie. That's fun for everybody. Yeah. I could imagine being a parent. Have you watched the kids all day, every day? You need a couple hours, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. so you just have the phone watch them for you. <laughs> That's the future. Yeah, who needs parents when you got robots and AI? I, I suppose we've already had baby monitors for a long time. I just leave the baby in the other room and I'll we'll hear it through yeah. the monitor. So this could be fun if you and your child speak Japanese, but if not, you know, you might have trouble getting the most out of it. Um, but this place is a big chain. They have locations all over the world. Okay, that's Even cool. There, there's at least that. one in the US. I didn't know that. So you could look into finding one closer to your home where they speak your language, if uh, that sounds like something you're interested in. Well, this episode's getting pretty long, longer than I thought it would be. Yeah, me too. We've been having too much fun. So let's, uh, let's leave the parks there. There's so many more. But we'll we'll leave it there. There's others out there you can go find if you do a little research. Yeah. But there was one more thing I wanted to talk about real quick. Oh, yeah. Can't skip this. So as we said in the history section, a lot of amusement parks in Japan have closed since the 90s. But 
some intrepid explorers are still interested in visiting these closed-down amusement parks because they leave behind these super awesome and kind of sometimes creepy-looking ruins. Yeah, I've actually got... We mentioned this briefly, but I've got a little bit more on why so many amusement parks went out of business in Japan. Okay. So one that we mentioned is competition from the bigger parks. Disney and Universal and Disney Sea all attract a lot of visitors. So that's competition. So that's one reason. But there were actually a lot of smaller parks that were financed by banks that gave a bunch of bad loans during the bubble and ended up collapsing. So these parks lost funding and they basically just had to close down very quickly. Hmm. So that's another reason that you see some. Also, amusement parks have really started booming in other parts of Asia, like China and South Korea now are starting to pop up with really good amusement parks of their own there. So there's less of an international presence coming to Japan because amusement parks have spread out more. Interesting. Lastly, the population in Japan is aging and the birth rate is low. And amusement parks can be fun for everybody, but generally you get the younger crowds. So if there's less children around, less young people around, less people to go to amusement parks. So a combination of a lot of things has kind of hit and weeded out a few of the weaker parks. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Seeing all those pictures of like the abandoned parks, I always just think like, why? Yeah. Like, why does a bustling, fun place just become this deserted, overgrown thing? Yeah. I appreciate that you did that research because I wondered too, and I saw those pictures, like a lot of these places look, I don't know what the word is. It's like they were just abandoned overnight. Like they look like exactly like they would have on the last day they were open and then everybody left and nobody touched anything. Yeah. It's like they didn't tear anything down. They're, they're just sitting there. It was there. a totally normal day and then just nobody came back tomorrow ever again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I've always been interested in the idea of urban exploration. Like there are people that seek out abandoned buildings and that kind of thing and go check them out. I never got into it personally, maybe partially because I'm a wimp and don't want to get arrested or anything because it's generally not, it's not exactly legal to go check these places out. I'd 100% do it in America, but I don't know if I'd do it in Japan. I want to get arrested in a foreign country. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the consequences are really there. It doesn't there. seem to be that bad because I hear a lot of people get caught. I actually saw one video where a guy said that like the person that owned the ruins or whatever, like actually he, he ran into him and they just like had a conversation and the guy was like, oh, that's cool that you're like interested in, you know, looking around or whatever. <laughs> that's fine. He didn't have a problem with it at all. But yeah, you could get slapped it with de- some... It all depends on the local police and where, which area it's in and right. stuff like that. But what we're saying is that people do this and it sounds kind of cool. Yeah. One park I saw was there's this abandoned Chinese park and it looked really cool. They had a, they had a Chinese style pagoda. They had all the old Chinese style buildings and it was really overgrown. It looked really cool. Nice. One that stuck out to me is called Takaka no Numa Greenland. 
Greenland? It, yeah, it closed in 1986. Oh, so it's, it's been, been abandoned for it's a while. It's been a while. And uh, in all the pictures I saw, I don't know if it's just because of like, you know, the location, that specific climate there, but it, it seems like it's always shrouded in dense fog, which makes it like super awesomely creepy. Yeah, constant fog is like plus 70% on the coolness scale. Yeah, it looks like it's out of a horror movie. It's like a Silent Hill type setting, you know? Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. I would get so many likes with pictures from there, bro. Oh, my God. And one of the cool things about these types of places is like, all these places have characters, you know? They're all these cutesy faces, but when they've been ravaged by time (laughs) and nature and they're all rusty, they get like distorted in creepy demented ways some of those mascots are like almost borderline creepy to start with (laughs) yeah and then yeah they start getting warped and rusted oh man Mm -hmm. that sounds cool okay one more i have real quick there was a place called nara dreamland did you hear about this that sounds cool it was built in 1961 as a copy of disneyland like the disneyland (laughs) in you know, in the U.S. <laughs> Just a Disneyland knockoff. Yeah. Before there was the official Disneyland in Japan. And it stayed open until 2006. Wow. Yeah. So since there, it's just been sitting there untouched. And it looks cool. <laughs> so yeah, if you're interested in this type of stuff, you don't even need to go there. Just Google abandoned theme parks and you'll find some cool stuff. And again, don't end up in a Japanese jail. Best to be avoided. Yeah. All right. I think we made it to uh, our last little section here. All right. All right. Let's talk about how to go to these places if you're interested in doing that. So one thing to note here is obviously we're still dealing with the pandemic. And for a while, Japanese theme parks actually had to close down due to government policy there's no guarantee that doesn't happen again in the future but they are operating now on new rules which like restrict the number of people and there's certain procedures they have to follow now to help keep it safer for everybody but it's definitely disrupted the industry in a big way and there's no telling what exactly the future holds (laughs) for amusement parks in japan it's kind of one of those things that can change on a day-to-day basis as cases go up and down and as new variants are discovered here and there, it seems like this is something we're going to be dealing with for quite a while. So that's something to keep in mind when planning any <laughs> vacations or amusement parks in Japan. Yep. Just so you know, COVID is still a thing. <laughs> uh, besides that, all these places we talked about have websites that are going to have the most up-to-date information, of course, on the attractions and ticket prices and COVID rules, that kind of thing. And it looks like pretty much all of them allow you to book tickets in advance online. If they have hotels, you'll be able to book those, of course, on the website. A lot of the time you can get a discount on your tickets if you purchase them online. You can also get discounts sometimes if you go on off-peak days, you know, the less busy days. Any of the parks that don't have online ticket sales are probably going to be the pretty small ones and they'll just have a ticket booth, you know, at the place where you can buy tickets on your way in. Any other tips, Paul? I think that about covers it. All right. Well, let's end what is probably our longest episode ever 
Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us, you can send an email to feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. If you have any personal experience with any of these parks, we'd love to hear what you thought and uh, what your favorite part was and that kind of thing. If you send us an email, we uh, may read your email in a future episode. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, What are we talking about next time, Paul? On the next episode, we're going to be talking about Japanese idols and the idol industry in Japan. Cool. So in case any listeners aren't aware, we're not talking about idols in the American sense where it's like, uh, you know, little religious statues or something, right? Right. We're talking about cute girls and guys. Entertainers. Entertainers, yes. Yes. Idols in that regard. Yeah, like American Idol. Yes. That uses idol in the same sense of the word, I guess. Exactly. And there's a lot to say about them. It's, it's going to be a really fun episode, I think, because it's a fascinating industry, and we don't really have anything quite like it in the U.S. Yeah, it goes really deep. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.